Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Something, and now you're afraid that if your spouse finds out, there's going to be serious, serious trouble. It may be something that you did even before you met your spouse, but you haven't told the truth about it. And now your spouse, if he or she were to find out, is going to react very badly. At least that's what you expect. Or more likely, it's something that you did not before the two of you met, but something has happened since you have been married. And now you're thinking, should I tell? Should I tell my spouse what I did? Should I tell my spouse what happened? Perhaps I should. Maybe I shouldn't. Well, on this particular program, what we're going to do is to give you some principles that you can use to make that kind of decision. You have a secret, and you're afraid that if your spouse finds out that secret, bad things are going to happen. Yet you're also afraid that if you don't tell your spouse, maybe even worse things are going to happen. Maybe some of your friends who do know your secret have said things to you like, well, you know, it's just going to eat you alive. It's going to affect the way you interact with your spouse, and it's finally going to destroy your relationship. So what do you do? I met a couple several years ago where that he had been off on some kind of religious retreat for men. And the speaker had said, if you want to be closer to your wives, what you need to do, gentlemen, is when you go home, tell them, tell your wives anything that you've done wrong anywhere in the course of your marriage that your spouse doesn't know about. This particular man wanted to be closer to his wife, and he had great confidence in the speaker who had told him that's what he should do. And so he came home and he told his wife about a one-night stand he had had 20 years earlier. Now, for him, that was 20 years ago. But for her, it was right now. I mean, she was just hearing about it. So it is recent in her mind. And she reacted in extreme negativism. Well, she had a right to. I mean, he had been unfaithful to her. And here she is thinking, oh, my goodness, the last 20 years of our marriage have been a lie. As a matter of fact, she actually used that phrase to me. She told me, the last 20 years of our marriage have been a lie. I told her that in my perception, it had not been a lie, but she was not going to hear anything I had to say. Her husband was begging her to forgive him, saying, look, the only reason I told you this was because of the fact that this guy told me that if I did, it would make us closer. If I'd had any idea, it would have actually maybe precipitated the end of our marriage. I would have never told you at all, and that made her even angrier. Oh, so you had this lie that you hidden for 20 years, and you were going to hide it until the day we die. It did not go well. I wish I had been around to talk to this man as he was driving home from that religious retreat, thinking, I'm going to tell my wife what I did those 20 years ago, because somehow, some way, this is going to make our marriage better. Because I would have shared with him the very same principles I'm about to share with you. If there's something in your life, something that you're afraid to tell your spouse, knowing that he or she is going to react very negatively, and yet at the same time wondering whether you should or not, let me give you some principles. These are the principles I'll give you. As a matter of fact, several years ago, one of my books, and when it first came out in hardback, it was called Forgiven Forever. Later, when it came out in softback, it was changed uh, in name to Getting Past Guilt, because that actually was a better name for the book. It explained more what it was about. And so this Getting Past Guilt book came out, and a lady called me from another country. 
she had read my book and he, and in that book, I had talked about the power of telling the truth. And I'm going to change her story just a little bit to protect her identity. Although I'm quite sure that no one listening could ever figure out who she was, but basically here's what she said. She said, my husband and I married when we were 16 years old and now we're 75. When we were 18, I had a short affair with another person. It didn't last long. Now, here we are all these years later at age 75, and I'm reading your book that talks about the power of telling the truth. And I'm wondering, should I tell my husband what happened all those years ago? And so I said, may I ask you a series of questions? And she said, okay, what are those? I said, the first one is this. Is there any other way that he can find out? She said, no, they're all dead. (laughs) Question number two, question number two, has he ever asked And she said, no, he's never asked. Question number three, is there any part of you that you hold back from fear or shame or guilt or any other negative thing that keeps you from being as close to him as you wish to be? And she said, no, I hadn't thought about it in 40 years until I read your book. I didn't even go to the next question because so much time had passed. But if it had been more recent, I would have asked the fourth question, which would have been, is there anything looming that he's going to be hit with at some point? Because if... That's the case. Well, let me go back to all four of them. The first question, when I said, there's any other way you can find out? Here's the principle that I'm talking about here. Oh, and by the way, I know that some of the people who listen to me say, I understand that, you know, you have a PhD you earned from the University of Sydney. I understand that you read a lot of psychology and those kinds of things. I understand, Joe, Dr. Beam, that you are adjunct faculty in the psychology department at Lipscomb University. And so when you give your answers, we understand that you base your answers on the things you have learned in your education and working with couples and people. But we're Christians. As a matter of fact, I've asked that quite a bit. And so I'm going to go ahead and answer that part of it as well. And so can you tell me that the principles you're about to share with us now would also be applicable, not just from a sociological and a psychological standpoint, but also from a Christian standpoint? My response is actually, yes, this one goes together very well. There's a passage in Ephesians, for example, where the Apostle Paul says you share with others what builds them up according to their needs. And everything I'm about to teach you in principles about when you share and whether you should share is based on that. It's based on sharing with others what builds them up according to their needs. And so the first question again, is there any other way that your spouse can find out? The reason I ask that is this, as much as it will hurt to hear it from you, it will hurt a whole lot more if they find out in some other way. And so if you think there's a great likelihood, a good possibility that your spouse may indeed find out, then it's better that you tell than letting him or her find out in some other way. Now, I realize that's not a hard and fast science to that. I mean, you may be thinking, I'm not real sure if he or she can find out or not. So when I get through with these four questions, I'm going to give you one other way to look at it. If you don't find these four to be as helpful as you think that they should be. But if you know it's something that happened like 20 years ago, or like that lady who called me from the other country, decades and decades ago, then it's a pretty good bit of, um, you can pretty well bet on the fact that she or he is not going to find out. Now, if it's something more recent, and if there are other possibilities, other ways that he or she may find out, then that's when you have to make that decision. Do I think the odds are more in favor that my spouse will find out or not? And if the odds are in favor that my spouse may find out, then I need to tell. Now, if you're thinking, doesn't everything always come to light eventually? And the answer to that is no. 
Now, that doesn't always happen. Not everything comes to light eventually. I mean, how many unsolved murders are there just in America? Not counting all the rest of the world. There are all kinds of things we don't know the answers to. I mean, does anybody know where Jimmy Hoppe's body is buried? We assume he's buried somewhere, but nobody knows where. There are things that people do that don't necessarily get revealed. And so if you're thinking, well, I might as well tell because eventually everything comes out, that is not a valid way to look at it. Think more logically. Think reasonably. And if you think that the odds are that your spouse is not going to find out, then maybe you want to not tell the secret. I'm going to tell why you wouldn't do that in a couple of minutes. But if you think your spouse may find out, and the odds are good to hear she'll find out, then you probably need to go ahead and tell Okay, the second question is, has your spouse ever asked? Now, this is based on my beliefs and values. It may not uh, be similar to your beliefs and values, and that is this. If your spouse has asked and you lied, then there's a lie on the table. In my opinion, and this is Beam's opinion, in my opinion, if there's a lie on the table, you need to deal with it. In other words, if you've lied, time to tell the truth. But that decision based on your own moral code, not on mine. And number three, the third part of it, is there anything that you hold back from fear or shame or guilt or any other reason like that? You say, what are you referring to? What do you mean? Like, for example, it's because of your guilt. You can't be quite as close to your spouse as you would otherwise be because of your shame or because of your fear. Any other emotion that that's really inside of you because of the fact that you know this secret, you know what you've done. And because of that, you just can't be as close to your spouse because it's just there is this barrier between the two of you. Now, if you have that barrier, you know what I'm talking about without not having to explain it further. If you don't have that barrier, then I'm not trying to make one. I'm not trying to create it. I'm not trying to fabricate it. If it's not there, okay, it's not there. In other words, this lady, this lady had lived, that I just told you about a few minutes ago from the other country, had lived for decades and decades without even thinking about what she had done all those many years ago when she was 18. Therefore, it was not bothering her. She wasn't feeling guilty about it anymore. She'd made peace with herself. She'd made peace with her God, I'm sure. And, and because of that, it was not affecting the relationship that she had with her husband. No shame, no guilt, no fear, none of that stuff. Until, until she wrote one of my books, and then that created a little bit of shame, a little bit of fear, I guess I should say, not shame. But if you don't have it, okay, then if it's not holding you back from your spouse, then don't worry about it. But I'll guarantee you there are any number of people listening right now who have actually had that happen. What they they have done, and I don't know what it is. Maybe you had an affair. Maybe you went to a strip club. Maybe you gambled away some of the money, mammy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you have feelings within you, of guilt, fear, shame, any of those kinds of things. And as a result of that, can't be as close to your spouse because of those things you feel. Don't you think that your spouse has a right to know why you are not as, as, as close as you could be? Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you mean if I'm feeling those kinds of things and I'm not as close to my spouse as I want to be, are you saying that my spouse probably knows that? My question back to you is, don't you think your spouse probably knows that. What I mean is, if you really are truly holding back and can't be as close, as intimate, as, as honest and transparent and open as you wish to be, which definitely affects the emotional connection you have, my guess is your spouse does know that, that there's something between the two of you. And so the second part of that question is, doesn't he 
or she have a right to know what that is. Now, if it's not there, again, I'm not trying to fabricate it, but if it is there, then maybe what you need to do is to tell your spouse. Not long ago, I met a man for coffee, and we were talking, and he was telling me about some things he had done. And in the course of the conversation, he was saying, it's eating me alive. It's tearing me apart. What I did is in violation of my own belief in value system. I know it would really, really hurt my wife if she discovered it. At the same time, I don't think I can live with this kind of guilt anymore. This, this kind of thing where I just can't be with her. And I said, okay, if that's the case, then you need to tell her. Of course, his immediate reaction was, well, she might divorce me. And my response was, she may. She absolutely may. On the other hand, if you make it clear to her that you're telling her not because you're trying to hurt her and not because you're trying to destroy or end your relationship, but you're telling her because you do care about her and you do want to be close to her and you know this thing you have done is wrong, you know it's going to hurt her to hear about it. It's hurting you because of the fact that you've done it. If you tell her with that spirit, she may, well, I know she will be hurt. And you may see some anger and she may even want to withdraw from the marriage in the sense of saying, I don't want to be around you anymore. But that's when people like us can help because if indeed your motivation is to do the best thing and to do the right thing, trying to put this marriage in a better place than it is, then that actually gives us a place to start to help you save the marriage. But again, the real question is this, if your spouse knows that you're not as close as you could be, does your spouse have a right to know why? And if you decide that he or she does, then don't do it arrogantly. I mean, tell the truth. Be honest about it. But then, if you need help, seek out people like us or others who are nearby who can help you deal with that. But if you remove that barrier, even though it'll be tough, really, really tough in the short term, in the long term, it can really create a much better relationship than you had before. Now, the last part, the fourth question, and then I'll give you one other way to look at it and then talk about one other thing and start taking calls. We've got people out there waiting to talk to us. Okay, the fourth question has to do is, is there anything looming? What I mean by that is this. <laughs> a fellow in this situation several years ago, he had been getting credit cards and uh, he would pick up the mail before she did. And there were offers for credit cards. You're pre-approved. And he would get those credit cards. His wife didn't know. Didn't know. Because he was always the one who got the mail. So therefore, she never saw any bills or anything else. And he was gambling that money. He was going to places where he could gamble and using the credit cards to gamble. And had uh, accumulated a debt of about $30,000 that she had no idea that they knew. Now, they decided they decided they were going to buy another house, and so they actually applied for a mortgage. I don't know why he didn't know that that was going to show up when the credit check was done, but apparently he thought he could somehow get away with it, and they actually applied for the mortgage, and it was during that credit check when it showed up. They'd got $30,000 in credit cards out there that his wife had nothing, no awareness of, and when she found out, it was bad. Now, don't you understand what I mean when I ask that fourth question? Is there anything looming out there that your spouse really needs to know is coming? For example, like that debt or the fact that you're about to be fired from your job because of the thing that you did or that you're facing some kind of a legal problem based on what you did or that you contracted some kind of sexually transmitted disease and you may well communicate that disease right over to your spouse, transferring it to him or to her. If there's something coming 
It is so much better, in my opinion, that you tell your spouse now than for them to be hit blindsided by it. Okay, so do you follow those four questions? There are four principles that you can use to decide whether or not you need to tell. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, you mean, you mean sometimes we shouldn't tell? Understand what I'm talking about here is the basic principle is you share with others what builds them up according to their need. Sometimes it's better for people not to know. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that you're going to lie about it. Lying is going to be wrong no matter what. But the fact that a person's not aware of something and you don't bring it up, can be to your advantage. You don't necessarily need to tell everything when you know it's going to cause pain to the other person and nothing can be accomplished for it. Now, back to the story I told earlier, where the guy's now telling his wife something he did 20 years ago destroyed their marriage. I would have said to him, that's not going to do her any good. It's not going to do your marriage any good. It's not going to do you any good. There is no benefit I can see to you telling her what you did that one night 20 years ago. And I'm not trying to help you get away with anything. I'm not saying what you did was something like, oh, forget about it. It's not a big deal. You had a one-night stand. It is a big deal. It was wrong. But, but now the principle is what will do the least amount of damage to my wife, to me, to our marriage. In other words, what's best to build up, up according to her needs and sharing that with her at that point wouldn't do that. So, okay, another part then. If you say, well, I heard the four questions, but I want a better way to do it or a different way to do it. Okay, I think those four are really a good way to do it, but here's another way. Here's what you do. Whatever that secret is that you're afraid your spouse is going to find out or that you are wondering if you should tell your spouse about, sit down and write it out. Now, when I say write it out, my suggestion is you write it out just as if you were telling him or her. I don't suggest you do this on your iPad or your computer or your smartphone because then there'll be a record of it. And at the outset, I think it's a whole lot better if you just do it by hand where you can tear it up, burn it, make sure it goes away. But you sit down and you write it out just as if you were telling your spouse. Now, the reason to do that is so you can see, and what I'll talk about in a couple of minutes, about what to leave in and what to leave out. And once you have written that out, once you look at it, you know, okay, you read it, you, I mean, you, you've written it, now you read it, you look at it. Now, you take a piece of paper and draw a line right down the middle. On the left-hand side, put all the positive things that can come that you think are very likely to come, not just weird way out there possibilities that are a chance one out of a million, but the things you think are likely to occur if you tell your spouse that thing. So make that list of the positives on that side. And then on the other side of the page, right on the other side of that line in the middle of the page, you write about all the negatives that not again, picking out something that might happen one out of a million chance, but the things you think are very likely to occur. And so you've listed the very likely positives and the very likely negatives. And now what you're going to do is evaluate those. And as you evaluate those, you're going to be seeing, okay, it, are there a lot more negatives than positives here? If so, maybe I shouldn't tell. If there are a lot more positives than negatives here, great likelihood of good things happening, then maybe I should tell. But I would say even then, still consider those four questions, such as, if there's any other way here she can find out, even if you have more negatives than positives, you probably should go ahead and tell. Or if there's something looming that's coming, you probably should go ahead and tell. Now, if you were thinking, wow, I thought you were going to give me something right, I would just Absolutely no. I mean, point of fact, boom, that's simple. That's, no, it's always a matter of judgment. But what I've given you now are some principles to help you understand how to make that judgment. Now, one more thing before I start taking the phone calls, and we have callers out there waiting. 
when you say, okay, Joe, you, you mentioned that you would tell us what to tell and what not to tell. Yes. Now, if you're going to tell your spouse about something you've done, you want to be as truthful as you possibly can with um, some considerations. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying lying. I am never for lying, but make sure you understand what I'm going to talk about here. If your spouse starts asking you questions, you need to answer them. And sometimes you won't want to answer those questions. For example, if you have been unfaithful, if you have had an affair, your spouse is going to ask who. And you might be thinking, wow, if I tell my spouse who, things are going to get a whole lot worse in a hurry, so I better not tell who. But I want you to think about how unfair that is. Say, for example, if I'd had an affair and I told Alice I'm, I had an affair and she says, I want to know who it was with. If I say, well, I don't think I should tell you that, then Alice is going to react in, in some very specific ways. One is she's going to be thinking, oh, fair partner, whoever she was, is more important to you than I am. So you'll protect her identity, which means you're actually putting her in a place of more security than I have. That's not fair. You're making her more important than me. You're protecting her and not helping me. And so she's going to get really mad about that. The second thing is, if I don't tell her who, then every woman in my world becomes suspect. And that's not fair to Alice. If she knows who it is or who it was, then she can at least release all the other women in my world. But if I tell her I've had an affair and I don't tell her who, then she's going to go through this thing of not trusting any woman I have any contact with whatsoever. And that's not fair to Alice. And so you answer those questions. You answer them openly. You answer them honestly. Now, I suggest a couple of things. Now, way back, Alice and I have been remarried now for 29 years. And back when we started putting our marriage together, we had been married for 15 years. Then we divorced for three. I divorced Alice and left Alice for three years. Then I asked if I could come back. She did take me back. We remarried a little, well, 29 years ago in June last month. Now, she had a lot of questions, and so this is one thing I said to her. I'll be glad to tell you anything you want to know as long as you're sure that you want to know it. Because once I tell you, I cannot untell you. And so she would ask the questions, and sometimes I would look at her and say, are you really sure you want to know the answer to that question? Sometimes she did. Sometimes she didn't. Oh, and by the way, sometimes she'd ask the very same questions again two weeks later. And by the way, that is fair. Why is she asking the same questions again? She wants to see if she's going to get the same answer she got before. She wants to see if you're telling the truth and that's right for her to do. That's quite okay. And so you answer every question honestly and openly. Now here, here though, is where I suggest a little bit of a change. If your spouse asks you anything that will create a visual now, say, for example, back to this situation, let's suppose I just had an affair. I didn't, by the way. This is just an illustration. But if I came to Alice and said, I had an affair, who was it with? Well, it was with Susie Q. Alice may then, just because she's human, ask questions like, did you kiss her? Now, you understand, I chose the least offensive word, verb there. I could, because she could ask a whole lot of different things beyond kissing. Did you blank? Did you do blank? And did you do blank? And here's what we suggest if your spouse asks those kinds of questions, which, by the way, is typical. People want to know those kinds of things, but there is no good benefit for either of you or your marriage for your spouse to hear the answers to those questions. 
It's just going to hurt your spouse. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your relationship. It's going to make it much, much longer for you to get past this and to heal from it. And so we strongly recommend that anytime your spouse asks a question that calls for a visual in the response, like if I say, yes, I kissed her, then Alice instantly has a visual of me kissing that woman. At that point, then what should be said would be, you know, please don't make me answer those kinds of questions because it's just going to make me have that visual and make you have that visual. And that's not good for either one of us. You see, what's going to happen is this. First of all, the visual, if I were to say, yes, Alice, I kissed Susie Q. The first thing is that that picture that Alice has in her mind is not accurate. It's her perception of what happened, not what really happened. And secondly, long after, long after I'm healed and past that, she'll still have that visual in her head. And so we strongly, strongly suggest you say those kind of questions are only going to hurt. Now, if your spouse is demanding, that's the time when you need to get a counselor or a coach because if the counselor knows what he or she's doing, if he or she's good at what they do, then the response is going to be, I mean, you have those kind of questions answered in the presence of your counselor or your marriage coach so that that counselor can say, I suggest that you don't get an answer to that question. Not because I'm trying to help your spouse get away with anything, but because I can only see damage to everybody if he or she answers that. And if your counselor doesn't know how to do that or isn't that good at that, then take advantage of our marriage coach, please. We have a marriage coach that's very well trained. You can actually book time with him. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a number just a minute if you want to do it. It's 615-472-1161. I'll give that number again in just a few seconds if you're looking for something to write with. But you can actually call and make an appointment to visit with our marriage coach. And if there's something you need to tell your spouse, once you establish a rapport between you and your spouse and our coach, then he can actually be on the phone with you or by Skype if you want to have a visual. And when your spouse says, did you kiss her? You understand that I'm using that word kiss to refer to a whole bunch of things here. Then, then you look to the coach, our coach, for example, our marriage help, um, helper certified coach who will say, I don't want to help your spouse get away with anything. What your spouse did was wrong. But for your sake, please don't ask that question. And I'm strongly advising you that he or she shouldn't answer that question because it's going to do more harm than good. You don't want to tell anything that's just going to create more problems. But, but because of the fact that your spouse may think you're trying to get away with something, that's the value of having a good counselor, a good coach. And so the number, again, if you want to use our marriage coach, you can book time with him by calling 615-472-1161. That's 615-472-1161. So are you getting the principles basically so far? I hope that you are. Well, I've talked about a half hour about this, and we've got callers who have been waiting out there for a long period of time. The first caller we have has an area code from Middle Tennessee. So let's talk to him or her. Area code 615. Hello. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I am rocking and popping. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I don't uh, have a question particularly about the topic you're discussing, but I was hoping you could give me some perspective on my situation. But Um, My husband and I, we were married in September of this last year, and um, he actually left in January of this year. So we've been married, well, four months before he left, but he has a background of, um, he was an atheist for about 10 years and a drug addict, um, particularly pills, 
he kind of came to Jesus and uh, about a year prior to meeting him, and we got married fairly quickly. Um, he gave up the drug addiction prior to meeting him, but so about a month after our uh, wedding, he had a drug relapse, and I had no clue. I kind of something the Lord had showed me, and a lot of lies quickly unfolded and broke a lot of trust in our relationship, and so I was continuing to kind of question him if he was still on drugs and um, had taken a painkiller at Christmas time for that his mother-in-law had given him. And so it just was things happening. And so middle of January, he just kind of had enough of my, my questioning and he felt very controlled and manipulated by me or his words. And so he left and said he was never coming back and wanted a divorce. And um, so he pretty much has stiff-armed me since then, Has will not communicate with me, stopped paying bills, just kind of went MIA. And uh, so I got pastoral <laughs> uh, support, and I went and filed for divorce. And right a couple days leading up to it, I started to feel a little convicted. And so I went to Scripture, and I, I studied what, you know, God's Word says about it. And, you know, I have – there's some people that say abandonment would make – sense in my situation and I couldn't verify in my own heart if he was an unbelieving spouse and so the day of court I backed off and I told the judge I wanted to um, hold off on it and so um, my husband left the courtroom in complete rage and sent me a text message saying you know I do not love you I absolutely want nothing to do with you and so I left it in his hands and told him he's welcome to file, and he's done nothing. And so it's been seven months since he left, and I just mm-hmm. I don't I'm worn out. <laughs> so I don't blame you. I would be as well. And so the reason I'm, I make sure I got all this straight. The reason he felt controlled and so forth and so on is because you were um, not gonna be standing by and letting him do drug abuse. Is that the reason he felt that way? Yes. Yes. For okay. Sure. And so, so basically, it's I want to live this uh, this lifestyle, this self-destructive. And if you try to stop me from living this lifestyle, this self-destructive, you are controlling me. I want nothing to do with you. I'm out of my own. That, that that's what I heard you say, right? That's the sense I'm getting. Uh, you know, his perspective. Like I said, he, he feels very controlled by me, and I'm not a controlling, manipulating person. <laughs> like, right. I think How long did you guys date before you got married? Well, that's the thing. We, uh, four and a half, five months, it was really fast. So it was a short relationship, and it's been a short marriage, and now he's gone off and and living a lifestyle. I'm assuming, as best you know at least, that the lifestyle he's living now is with drugs and those kinds of things. Is that correct? I see. That's the thing I don't have any proof of, and that's been the hardest part. I mean, it it looks that way, but But that's why he left you. I mean, but he left you because of the fact that you were trying to stop him from doing those things, correct? Yeah, but he said he wasn't doing it. He said he was, you know, wasn't doing it anymore. It's the one-time thing that... And did you, and, and so if that's the case, what were you doing that he felt was controlling? Um, there were a couple times I searched his truck um, because that's when I had found, you know, stuff that he was taking. And so I continued to kind of do that and um, just monitoring his phone. I mean, uh, things that, yeah. So things that were really, you right. know, he really and felt so, like I had him under a microscope. 
Okay, so let me make sure. So things just changed a little bit in my perception. I'll make sure I got it right. So yeah. the only one you really know about is that one-time event, right? The, yep, and then his mother-in-law giving him pills um, at Christmas. Okay, all right. So so then it's kind of an – when, when people ask us questions such as, you know, should I should I check my spouse's phone surreptitiously or secretly so my spouse doesn't know? Should I should I put a GPS in my spouse's vehicle? Should I follow him? You know, all those kinds of questions. In, in your case, we would add, should I search through his truck? Our answer always is this: If you're ready to divorce, yeah, those are things that you need to do because you'll find things you'll use in the divorce. But if you're not ready to divorce and your spouse finds out you did those things, even if you find the evidence that what you were thinking is true. It's not going to be about, oh, Matt, you caught me. It's going to be about how dare you. Now, there are some rare exceptions to that. I've actually seen a few exceptions to that, but they are rare and few. Almost everybody who feels that they're being checked up on reacts the way that your husband did. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up. Please don't misunderstand. No, I'm please not, don't. I'm not trying to beat you up. Okay. No. But I'm telling you that, that uh, had we talked, you know, back seven months ago, I would have said, don't do that <laughs> because what's mm-hmm. going to happen is he's going to react extremely negatively. Do you have any contact with him at all now? No, he won't. He won't communicate with me. Okay. All right. So where it is, is that you've decided that you were going to divorce him because of the fact of being abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, first Corinthians seven, but then you decided, no, I don't have peace for that. And so you backed off and now he's even madder at you because he wanted the divorce, but, yep. but, he hasn't done anything about divorce. How long has it been since that happened? Uh, about a month and a half. Okay. And in that six weeks, he could have obviously filed for divorce had he wished, but he hasn't done so. No, but he's okay. not really known to take action for a lot of things, you know. Okay. Think. All right. So do you have a specific question in this? I understand the situation now, so let me, but I might have missed yeah. the question. All right. What's the specific question you're asking then, please? Do I just do I move on? You know, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm just you, worn out. Oh, I don't blame you for being worn out. It would wear me out as well. Obviously you have to do what you believe is right. I can't tell you what to do. The reason is I don't have to live with the consequences you do, but here's the things I would ask you to consider as you make your decision. This, this marriage um, was a whirlwind marriage to begin with. Therefore it doesn't have a whole lot of roots to it. And, and the fact that he is so angry with you and has that kind of background and the fact that, that when it comes to beliefs and values, which are a big part of life, what you've said is that his belief and value system is very different than your belief and value system, right? I mean, um, in the sense he, that, that you're a believer, he's not a believer. In that sense, at least, it's different, right? He is. When we were married, he was a believer. I mean, we were married oh. in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, okay. I misunderstood. That. I thought you said he wasn't a believer. So he was an atheist for like ten years prior to meeting him. Yeah. Uh huh. And does does he embrace Christianity? From what I'm told, he goes to church and he's doing a Bible study in the morning with some friends at work. But I okay. mean, he doesn't seem to be acting as a a believer. Okay. And but... all right, all right. Then here's a couple of suggestions. Again, you decide if. If you're going to move on, and by that, and when I think of move on, I think of, you know, you sound like you're a relatively young woman. So I'm assuming that when you say move on, what that means is that you would, you know, put yourself back out there after a period of healing, might start dating again, those kinds of things. If that's what you think you're ready to do, 
then you really do need to divorce. Because as long as you're a married person, moving on doesn't really fit with that. So if you're going to move on like that, yeah, then go ahead and divorce. But if in your heart, even though you're tired and fatigued, and I sure get that, I really do. Even though you're tired and fatigued, you're thinking, you know, he's in a Bible study. Maybe something can happen here. Maybe, maybe if I keep praying, if I keep doing the right kind of things I'm supposed to do, maybe just maybe we could potentially put this thing back together. Then even though you're tired, I'd recommend that you stay married at least for a while. But as I said earlier, it's your decision. By any chance, are you part of any of our Facebook groups? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which one are you in? Um, Save My Marriage. Okay. Have, have you ever looked at the Save My Marriage online course by any chance, that 10-week course? I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken okay. it, but I know it's there. I'm sorry? I know it's there. I just haven't taken it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not trying to sell you something. There's, there's one thing in there that I'm going to go ahead and mention to you now. And if you want to take the course, love to have you in it. I'm not, not only I'm not trying to sell you, I'm not trying to turn you away from it either, okay, because I think mm-hmm. it's very valuable. But one thing in there that, uh, and I don't have time to explain it here like I explained it there, but something you might want to consider is if you know how to get to him with a letter. They should write a very short letter, very short letter. And in that short letter, you just basically say, dear, whatever his name is, I have come to realize that I should not have done what I did when I searched your truck and searched your phone, whatever other things he knows that you did. I am so sorry about that. I have, uh, I'm working on becoming a better person and I, I hope you're doing quite well. If ever you'd like to talk, I'm here. You don't make the letter any longer than that. You don't beat yourself up because that's not going to help. You just say a couple of specific things that you did. Tell them that you're sorry and that you're doing that you know better now. And then a little limitation. If ever you wish to talk, I would enjoy doing so. And, and, and this thing, we're talking about, you know, like two paragraphs. It's a relatively short letter. It's better if it's handwritten. And then you mail it to him. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you that's one thing we talk about in that course. And if you were to consider doing that, it may, may open a channel of communication. It may not. It may make him even angrier. I don't know him, therefore I don't know how he'd respond. But the bottom line is this, in my suggestion. If you're so tired, you're thinking this is it. It was a short-term thing to begin with. I can't stand it anymore. If you're going to move on, divorce first. If even in your tiredness, you're thinking, I'm going to hang in there for a while and try a couple of things, then at least try those things before you consider divorce and hope and pray, since you're a believer, pray, God, and this is the thing I'm suggesting you pray, God send somebody into his life that can help put us back together. Not praying that God does anything to his heart, but that God sends in the right person. God, please send the person into his life, lead us back together. And I've seen that prayer, by the way, work wonders. Okay. Yeah, I've done the letter, not in handwritten form, but um, email and text. I mean, I've apologized. Since well, if, day if, one. You've already, <laughs> if, you, if you've already done that, then don't do it again. There's no value to that. Yep. Okay. So either, right. either decide it's time to move on if you do divorce, or you're going to wait for a while, and if so, pray. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. 
Okay, you're very welcome. Okay, we're going from Middle Tennessee over to, I believe this is New Jersey we're headed to next. Newark, New Jersey. At least that's where the area code is. People move around with their phones a lot now. Hello, area code 973. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hey, Joe. It's Joe. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, Joe. How can I, I help I'm you this evening? I'm actually calling. I, I, I don't have... Um... My name is Joe. I don't have any specific problem in my past, but I had a question about my relationship right now that I was hoping you could help me with. A couple of months ago, my wife came to me and she said that she wasn't in love with me anymore. She still loved me because I was the father of our children. We've been married for 13 years. And she said, sometimes love isn't enough. She said there was a pattern of me screwing up and with basically with my career. And she she also said um, that she couldn't see herself staying with me. I don't believe mm-hmm. that there's anybody else. And um, so I've been I've been I was previous to that maybe the three months before that happened. I went through radical changes. I met a couple people that were helping me go through changes. I was improving a lot of the pies on my own. And then I learned got your book. I learned about the pies and 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 I done even more of that she has since said to me that she hasn't given up on us yet we we're, we're kind of um roommates with benefits right now and mm-hmm. um so we and we're communicating we're living together and she said those things but she's still very reserved she won't say she if i tell her i love her and and how important she is to me or she'll she will not say she loves me there's times when she does say it's almost like she paints a little bit of a picture with us together, and other times when she paints a picture without me there. And um, through other people that I've talked with, I get a, I don't know her to be manipulative or deceptive, but I get a sense that that sometimes she really is trying to put this back together and work with me, and, and when we're doing this, mm-hmm. and, and other times I feel like she's biding her time and just agreeing with me right now until such times as we're in a better position for her to separate from me. We have some financial things, live little children. Um, mm-hmm. I have in-laws that are in my household all the time and create mm-hmm. problems. And basically with them there, there's a sense that she definitely has that she doesn't need me. And okay. they're, they're going away on vacation for the next couple months. And, and sometimes I get a sense that she's putting it off until they're back, or maybe she's putting it off. She does say to me that, that she thinks that we're possibly um, to take it slow and, and that, that she just wants to enjoy being with me. She says those things to me, but okay. I still have this, this nag, nagging feeling that right. things are still not on right. the way. And the thing is, I'm, I will always be she's a very successful businesswoman and has a career mm-hmm. and she's a, and, and I will never be at that level. I, I intellectually, I'm the same with her, but you know, I'll, I'll never be at that level in my career. I, my, my career has been a mess. And okay. so, so may I ask that's why I am Joe. Can I ask you a question? Has anybody ever asked? No, not asked. That's the wrong thing. Has anybody ever mentioned to you that maybe you overthink things? Yes. Yes, they have. <laughs> okay. I thought that you'd probably heard that. Let me, let me kind of walk back through this because you see the things that you're saying are actually very encouraging. What I'm hearing, and, and you know, I'm certainly not God. I get things wrong sometimes. But let me tell you what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is that here's a woman 
who has not moved out as far as you uh, apparently has no um, involvement with somebody else. You call it friends with benefits. That means that you are at least on occasion making love to each other, right? Yes. And and it's actually been better. And we've probably kissed more in the last maybe two weeks than we have in the last five years of marriage. Yeah. Women typically do not, unless, unless a woman is a paid sex partner, women typically don't kiss unless there's actually some feeling of intimacy. You understand what I'm saying? So the yes, fact I that do. she's the fact that she's kissing you. So the fact you, that she's saying not saying she loves me or anything doesn't matter. It's the action. No, no, no. I, I oh. think what you're doing is you're not really listening to what she's saying because what you said earlier was she said, let's just take it slow. I enjoy being with you. Let's just take it slow. But, but you sound to me like the kind of guy, and I understand this because I'm that kind of guy too, but it sounds to me like you're the kind of guy that's like, well, Let's just do all the right things and it'll all happen in a hurry. And that's not what's happening here. Whatever happened that pulled you guys apart a little bit is not bad enough that she's someplace else. She's still in your bed, making love to you, kissing you, telling you that she, that she enjoys being with you and saying, let's take it slow. When you start trying to do things like, oh, well, I'm wondering if she's doing this for that reason. I wonder if she's doing it for that reason. That's just sabotaging you. Those kinds of thoughts sabotage you because they'll make you act differently. And then, and then trying to evaluate when you say something like, I love you, and she does not say I love you back, and you start trying to evaluate that. What does that mean? Does she not love me? Here's my suggestion, my friend. By the way, of the people that I work with, 99% would trade places with you in a heartbeat. Okay? They're out there right now listening going, oh, man, I wish I were where this guy is. Because you've got her there in the home, you're actually communicating, you're kissing, you're, you're enjoying being with each other. And so I recommend that you do exactly what she requested. Take it slow. And rather than continually telling her, I love you, etc., she she knows all that. So instead, here's what I suggest you do. Start listening a whole lot more. And there's actually a methodology you can use that can be of interest. You can say to her something like, Hey, I had this idea. We enjoy being with each other. Uh, I heard uh, this guy named Joe beam once and he was talking and he said that one way that's really good to communicate because you learn a lot about yourself is to share stories from your childhood with each other. Now let me make this make some sense for you. And so he's like, you pick out a story from your childhood that you think affects how you do things today or how you do things, how you think, how you feel. And you just tell that story. Now, when you do, you allow yourself to see it in your mind. You allow yourself to feel whatever emotions go with it. You don't make it long. It's not a half hour. You know, it's just a few minutes of a story. And you tell that. And it's interesting that when people do that, they often start getting more insight into themselves. Like, oh, that's why I do things that way. That's why I feel like that, et cetera, et cetera. And then what you want is to reciprocate where that shink then does that. Now you don't, you don't force this like, okay, I go first, then you have to go. You don't do that. You say, I just heard this is a really cool way to start learning things better about yourself. And so why don't we do that? And so like one evening a week, let's just do that. I'll tell a story from my childhood. And if you will, if you're willing to, you tell one from your childhood. Now what you do is you, you just truly, honestly, genuinely listen. You try to understand. And, and that often leads to more conversations. And, and my guess is, I don't know your wife, of course, but my guess is that what this woman really needs right now is a good listening to. So don't push, 
just listen. And when people are doing those kinds of things and sharing those stories and telling things about themselves and you are, are listening and understanding and accepting, then that's what creates deeper, deeper levels of intimacy. So, man, I think you're, I think you're in a great position. Just don't blow it. <laughs> don't push it. Do what right, she says. Right. Give some time. So the, the, but, the, the, only, the one thing she does keep saying to me now is stop being weird. Yeah, well, and, and I, I, okay. maybe that's because I'm overthinking things. Absolutely. So I tell you what, I've got an idea. Why don't you uh, stop being weird? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Do what she's saying, man. Back off. Give her some space. Be there. Spend time together. Just back off and give her some space because I'm, 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 if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd bet the farm that that's exactly what she means. You're panicking and you're forcing things, and that may, always makes things worse. Calm down, man. You, you are in a great place. You're in a great place. Just slow down. Okay. And even if she is thinking of, of, of the other thing, it really doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. If, I, if I'm doing what I'm doing. If you do the kind of things I'm talking about, even, yeah, if, she, even if she were, even if she were thinking about those things, you can actually right. turn that around just by the things I'm okay. talking about. But, but I'm suggesting, I strongly suggest, don't let yourself think about the fact, I wonder if she's planning this. I wonder if she's thinking that. As long exactly. as you let those thoughts go through your head, you're going to sabotage yourself, man. Okay. Okay? Thank you so much, Joe. Okay, you take care, my friend. Okay, all right, let's see. I have just... Did I lose this program? No, I'm still here. Okay. I, <laughs> for some reason, I have lost my screen that uh, lets me know how to interact with people, and that's just strange. So <laughs> I can't get to the next caller because I can't see what the next call is. This is just bizarre. Well, okay, I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you, but something has gone really crazy with my computer, and I do all of this on a computer, and I don't know how to get it back. Wow. My, my, my. Well, for those of you out there listening, okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And mm, what, are the, what happened? Well, this is a terrible thing to do, to have a program, have other callers out there waiting and for whatever reason that screen has disappeared off my computer i can find out everything else on my computer except that there was a call waiting from lubbock texas i was about to go to next lubbock i am so sorry but i have lost this program and i don't know how to get it back well for all those you uh, those of you who are listening i am so sorry that we're going to end our program on this note, but uh, things have just gone wrong and I don't know how to fix it. Uh, until next week, have a good evening.